When eight sailors board a Brazilian battleship on its way to the scrapyard, they have no idea they're about to end up in a museum in space. And then we take a look at a story that should send a terrifying chill down anyone's spine. When seven friends go camping, they quickly realize someone is missing. The only problem is, they can't decide who to look for. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun. As the seasons change and the hot days turn to cold days, it's coming up to spooky season. Halloween is two two months away, but still, you can feel the spookiness in the air already. Someone who's always in the air, or at least breathing it, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now, everyone give it up to our newest Patreon supporter, Why Mop Queen Mab. Woohoo, yeah, come on in, Queen Mab, walk on into Dead Rabbit Command. Queen Mab, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. I really, really do. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Anything you can do to help the show grow, I really appreciate it. Why Mop Queen Mab? Let's go ahead and give you the keys to the Hair Hovercraft. We haven't used this vehicle in a long time. We're leaving Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out to Swampy, Swampy, Florida. <laughs> That is supposed to be hovercraft. It's not a vacuum cleaner. It's a perfect vehicle, right? Florida, the land of swamps. Specifically, we're headed out to Miami, Florida. It's January 1970. We're in Miami, Florida. We're going to meet this dude, this student at the University of Miami. His name is Ron Card. We see Ron Card walking across campus, and I have to point him out. He looks just like any other student. I'm like, that's the dude, bro. That's the dude I'm going to be talking. He totally sees me pointing. He's like, oh, campus police. Who are those weirdos? I'm pointing at Ron Card. I'm like, that's the guy we're going to be talking about today. And we see him walking around campus. And then all of a sudden, this Mustang convertible pulls up alongside of him. And some of the driver's going, yo, Ron, get inside. Get in the convertible. We got a place to go. And Ron's kind of like looks from side to side. He's like, okay. And he gets in the convertible. Red Mustang convertible. I don't know if it was red. I just really like red Mustang convertibles. Color notwithstanding, we see Ron get in this convertible and they drive away. And I go, well, what do you think? Now I'm pointing at the dust that this car's kicked up. And you're like, wait, what? That's the story. That's the story. A college student got in a Mustang convertible. Are you are you secretly doing an ad for the Ford company? What does any of this have to do? Is it like true crime? Does he get butchered? And I'm like, well, not. No, no unfortunately not. That would have been a cool. I want to do a whole series about people killed in Mustang convertibles. No, if you had looked closely at the driver of the Mustang convertible, it was an alien. An alien was driving that vehicle. Now you might think that. It's pretty audacious, right? You're an alien, you're an undercover alien on Earth. It's probably not good to be in one of the most visible vehicles possible, a.k.a. one without a roof. There was an alien driving that vehicle, and you go, well, it looked like a person. I said, yeah, it's one of those lame aliens that looks just like you and me. He's not a cool alien. He's not an insectoid or reptilian or a great. But that dude who picked up Ron Card is an alien who's been visiting Ron Card for years. Apparently, these aliens were coming down and chatting with this dude. And on this particular occasion, 
He actually picked up Ron in this Mustang convertible, and they drove around town. And then the driver goes, hey, Ron, you know what? You want to you wanna see something cool? We've seen all the sights of Miami. We saw that we saw the drug dealers have that shootout in that parking lot and then we saw those drug dealers have that shootout on the beach you've shown me enough of the local life of Miami why don't we go check out my UFO Ron's like dude that's totally dope <laughs> he's bleeding to death he got shot by a bunch of Miami gangsters he's like uh they take Ron aboard this UFO and give him a tour hey look at that yeah see these control panels oh that's really dope yeah see these like seats you can sit on we invented those people are like no humans invented those too Shh. no no we invented them we gave them to the humans and then he's walking <laughs> they don't take him by like the place where they're doing all the human experimentation these mutated babies floating in vials they didn't show him that room but they gave ron a tour of this ufo <laughs> this story is so funny because these aliens are such idiots this is a real event this is a real event this is covered by one of the leading experts in UFOlogy. He's written a ton of books, but for whatever reason, this is the story that it fell on my lap out of all of his research. The guy who covered this, his name was, you guys may even know it if you watch a lot of like History Channel stuff, Wendell Stevens. He's a very famous UFO researcher. He talked about the time that the aliens rented a... They didn't buy this car. They didn't build it. It wasn't a space car. They went to like a rental car service rented a Mustang convertible, picked up Ron Card, who was being contacted by these aliens, these group of aliens over the course of years. This one particular moment, they rented this car, they drove Ron to their UFO, gave him a tour, and then made Ron <laughs> made Ron return the rented car. The alien's like, okay, I'm kind of pooped out from all of that tour guiding. He threw Ron the keys and said, can you take that back to the dealership for me? He's an alien! Just make it teleport, or just build a car in the first place, you lazy bum. He makes Ron return the rented car. He does say, listen, I already paid for it up front. I'm not, not going to make you pay for it as well with your Earth money. But yeah, so then Ron, so after this adventure, after being given this tour of this UFO, now he's just like driving a car through. What a letdown, right? You're like, oh man, why can't we take the UFO to the dealership? He drives this, well, you know, it is a good ending because he's driving a Ford Mustang. <laughs> this has become an advertisement for Ford. I love those guys. He's driving a convertible Ford Mustang through Miami. He takes it back to the dealership. So that's not the whole story, though. That's not the whole story, though. I would have been totally satisfied with just telling that story because it's so bonkers. There's also, because Ron had so much communication with these aliens... When, and this is a this is a question I think would come up, right? When you if you met an alien, you had, weren't good terms with them. If they're not currently probing you or something like that, you wouldn't be talking to them at that point. You you would start to ask questions like, "What do you know about Bigfoot?" I think the first questions would be stuff like, "Is there life after death? Are there cures to all these diseases?" Kind of like the heavy questions. But then I think you would start asking like, "What's the truth behind Bigfoot? What's the truth behind the Bermuda Triangle? Like all of these things we kind of associate with aliens. Not really Bigfoot so much, but you would want to know because they they're flying around. I'm sure they saw the furry fellow walking through the woods one day. But you would ask like, and Ron did. He goes, "Hey, what's up with all those missing planes and boats in the ocean? Do you guys really have anything to do with that Bermuda Triangle and everything?" And his alien friend said, you know, that's an interesting question. Yes and no. He says, for the most part, when boats and planes go missing, we have nothing to do with it. As <laughs> his alien eyes shift from side to side, he goes, most of the time we don't have anything to do with it. However, I do know of a time that we did. That we actually stole a battleship. 
Let's go back to the year 1910. In 1910, the country of Brazil wanted to start to project its power out into the oceans. It was starting to become a big center for exports of rubber and I, I believe oil as well, but it started to become this international power and it wanted to be able to flex its naval muscles. So it started ordering dreadnoughts, these giant battleships that were the most powerful battleship of the time, to be constructed. And they had a couple built, and one of them was the Sao Paulo. The Sao Paulo. The Sao Paulo was actually cursed from the beginning. Almost immediately. Here's a quick timeline of what happened. It came into service in 1910. It got involved in this wide-scale mutiny called the Revolt of the Lash, where the rank-and-file sailors were rising up against their commanders because working conditions were terrible. The food was so bad. They were getting like these horrible diseases caused by a lack of vitamin B. And they were getting whipped when they did bad things. They're like, quit being sick. So there was this wide-scale mutiny. The Sao Paulo was almost immediately taken over by its crew. They began attacking cities. They began shelling cities in Brazil. And then the mutiny was put down. And that was really the first time that this new dreadnought ever saw any service. After the Revolt of the Lash, World War I starts, and Brazil asks Britain, hey, do you want to borrow our battleship, our Sao Paulo battleship? Come and check it out, dude. It'll be totally awesome during World War I. They weren't calling it World War I. They weren't waiting for the sequel. When the British came out and tested the boat, they go, dude, this boat sucks. It's super slow. We're fighting for the future of our empire, but we don't want to use your junky boat. And Brazil's like, oh, it's our favorite boat. After that, a couple of years after that, there's another mutiny on the boat. And then the sailors think it's a Uruguay. And Brazil's like, come on, dude, can this boat do any good? And eventually it did. It became a training vessel. It became the boat where everyone learned how to become a sailor. And then after it stopped being a training vessel, they say, you know what? Let's just scrap it. We'll get better use out of it by just selling the iron and all the steel and everything that it was made out of. So November 6, 1951, the Sao Paulo is being towed across the ocean. It's headed off to Portugal to get scrapped. It's being towed across the ocean by these two barges, these two like tow barges. And you had the Sao Paulo have a crew of eight men on it. They're making sure that everything is fine on the boat. They're, I guess they're probably there just in case, right? But I mean, really, really, I'm surprised it's still floated at this point. These eight people, man, were really taking a risk. They weren't doing much. These two boats were pulling it. And then during this journey, a huge storm hits. And they said the waves were so high that the two tow barges had to make a decision. They actually had thought about this ahead of time. They say, listen, if we start to lose control of this big giant battleship, one of us is going to cut our line and then the other one will tow it for a short distance. And then when the storm, because you can't have it flying in all these different directions, you basically only have it flying in one direction. One of us will cut our line. You'll be able, you other tow barge, keep it on course or just at least keep it stable for a little bit. And then when the storm breaks, we'll actually go and we'll fix the line. So that's what they do. This storm, the dreadnought's just going up and down and the two tow barges, whoa, whoa, dude. They're going up and down in different times too. 
And so the one's like, nope, we're doing it. They cut their line. So now this giant dreadnought is just kind of being tossed aside in this storm, but it's still being held by this second tow line. And the line, the tow line actually gets caught in one of the tug's propeller. And it just cuts it. It just completely shreds the tow line. And now nothing is holding the Sao Paulo in place. But it's a boat, right? It's just going to float there. That's what boats were built to do. But that's not what happens. These two tugs are watching this battleship go up and down in their waves. The storm is crashing all around them. Eventually, they lose sight of the battleship, but they can still see this red navigation light on the Sao Paulo. They can watch this red navigation light go up and down and up and down and then disappears. The two tugs are trying to get the Sao Paulo on the radio. Nothing's working. But it doesn't make sense. Like, it's only been a few minutes since this tow line got cut. The boat was stable enough to float. Where did it go? But it did disappear. And they called in rescue teams. And they sent out air rescue teams and sea rescue teams. And they searched the area and they never found the battleship. And to this day, they've never found it at all. It went down off the coast. It was hundreds of miles off the coast of Portugal, but it went down and the tugboats filed that report. We watched it and then it just disappeared. That story is 100% true. That story is documented everywhere in newspapers. And, you know, there's websites that are like all about naval history. There's whole websites about missing boats. Not paranormal side, but just boats that go missing, things that go missing. The story I just told you is 100% true. And it is a weird story. Where did this battleship go now what i was when i was looking at this it, it still seemed seaworthy i mean if it wasn't able to get tugged across the ocean i mean going from brazil to portugal's quite the journey so i mean if it, if, I mean, if they didn't know if it was going to get there on its own at all they would have had to figure out another way to scrap it so how did this battleship and yeah sure there weren't a lot eight people weren't enough people to fully operate this battleship but still a couple they said the storm was like a couple hours that went on. And that tow line was only cut though for a couple minutes and then it just disappeared. And the only thing they can think of is it sank, but they've never been able to find it since. So that alone's kind of an interesting mystery. The story of a cursed battleship, right? It never really got to see its goal of killing people in a war. It never got to do that. Constantly was a source of mutinies and then eventually just became a hunk of junk and then disappeared. But let's go back to Miami. Because when Ron Card asked one of these aliens, hey, do you have anything to do with like missing boats and stuff like that? The alien says, you know, that's a really interesting question. Before, before I answer it, do you have any relatives who live in Brazil? He says, this alien says, he goes, yeah, actually, we did take a battleship once. He goes, there was this thing, and I can't really tell you what we needed it for. He was very, very clear with Ron that he wasn't going to give him all the information. He goes, listen... We needed a battleship made of metal that had armaments. It had the ability to fire projectiles. And Ron's like, why? And the alien goes, I can't tell you why we needed it. But we needed it. So something that was made of wood, like an old galleon, that wasn't going to work for us. It needed to be made of metal. It needed to have guns. 
And so we looked around for one, and obviously there's a ton of them sitting around, right? But you don't want to just walk up to a naval port and just vanish a boat. People would notice that. So we wanted one, but we also wanted to get one that people wouldn't notice was missing. So we began to look for that. And we found out that the Sao Paulo was going to be transported across the ocean for scrap. So we were tracking that. We had a UFO tracking that. Once it got into a proper distance where there wouldn't really be any interference, we caused the storm to appear. We had everything perfectly managed. We caused the storm to appear, and then we took possession of the battleship. We basically abducted the entire dreadnought. So that was us. That battleship's missing. And Ron's question, you know, we know that there's a crew of eight on it. Ron goes, were there anyone on the battleship? Was it just floating there? And the alien goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one person on the battleship. There's only one person on the battleship. And we actually had pre-contacted him before through his subconscious. We were communicating with him subconsciously. And he gave us permission to abduct him. So after this guy gave us permission to abduct him, we then tracked the Sao Paulo, and we caused the storm, and we took the ship. And we used it for what we were going to use it for. Which, again, we will not tell you what that was. We had to send it off to an alien world. It served its purpose, and then after that, we took the Sao Paulo, and we placed it in this thing called the Museum of Space. Which, again, he does not really go into detail what that is, but apparently... There is a museum in space that is about space stuff. The Museum of Space. And that is where the battleship sits to this day. Now, it's an interesting story. When Ron heard his alien buddy tell this story there, you know, I was reading about this. I found out about this by reading ThinkAboutItDocs.com. And then I did some more research. My first question was, does this boat exist? And that's when I found all these Wikipedia articles and stuff like that. So that really got my juices firing. Just like a Ford Mustang 5.0, I was ready to go. When I found out this was real, I was started digging in all this historical stuff. Ron also goes to fact check this, and he ends up coming across the article in a magazine called Pageant Magazine. It was kind of like just a general interest magazine of the time. And in the magazine article, he is able to verify some of this stuff, right? The Sao Paulo did go missing. So that made him think that, yeah, maybe his alien buddy did play a part in this. It's interesting because historically we know there were eight people on the boat. The alien buddy says there was only one that they had contacted. There's only one guy on the boat. And the pageant magazine, although it uses the word crew, it does make it seem like there was only one guy on the boat and they named him as Mr. Ferrier or something like that. It was a scanned article. I had a hard time reading the name. But it's an interesting story, right? Is it true? We don't know, obviously, with all of these stories. It's just one witness. There's some stuff that does make the story suspect. The fact that the aliens come from Venus... Which I didn't, I didn't reveal until now. Is suspect, you know, obviously people go, well, there's nothing on Venus, so how could an alien come from Venus? We can, we know now, 1970s, we thought there was life on Venus. Now we know that there's not life on Venus. I think if you're willing to 
accept the idea that aliens exist. I think you can accept the idea that if we did discover life on Venus, it would be covered up or they could be living in the inner parts of Venus. I don't take the fact that they're from Venus as a instant this story's made up. That's just my personal thing, just because they're from Venus. But I did I did want to add that in there. But yeah, the idea that you could take a battleship and use it for undisclosed purposes, that's always the interesting thing. Like, if somebody's making up a story, they wouldn't make up what it was being used for, and it would be something totally cool, right? Oh, we need to fight a battle, but we need to use a human battleship to do it. And No, the, he just goes, what do you need it for? And the alien kept going, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to use. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. But I will tell you, it will safely end up in the Museum of Space. And we contacted someone on board, and they said it was okay for us to abduct them. Now, what's interesting is the alien story, there was only one person on board. Historically, we know there were eight people on board. So the alien also seems to not only be hiding information, but lying. A very, very interesting story of a man meeting a Martian, not a Martian, a Venusian. And being told a story and driving around in a Mustang and having all these wacky adventures. But that's all the fun stuff. At the end of the day, eight people were abducted. And who knows what happened to them, right? We don't know what they used the battleship for. And even then, if we did, they just ended up in a museum. The idea of humans being trapped in some sort of museum or space zoo, that's also very common. And really an early UFO lore. Right. But but again, a fascinating story where we have the world of the paranormal blend with the world of real life. And this was such an obscure missing boat, too. I figured if he was ma- if he was making it up, he could have set it in the Bermuda Triangle. He could have taken a very popular mystery at the time of those Air Force planes that just it was like a, a platoon of them or whatever you call a bunch of planes together. Seven of them just disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle. Like, you could have taken something like that. Not something that was so obscure. It was really only reported in the pageant magazine by the 1970s. So I I find it a very fascinating story. And aliens, if you're ever going to come and abduct me, do it in a Mustang. (laughs) Do it in a Mustang convertible. I will willingly go if you let me do donuts in a Mustang convertible on a nice summer day. Why Mop Queen Mab? Let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the Carboner Copter. We're going to leave behind Miami. We are headed all the way out to a camping site. The year is 2022, so this is a pretty recent story. It's springtime. And this dude, we're going to call him Norman, and his six friends decide to go on a camping trip. They were like, you know what would be totally awesome? You, me, Trees, squirrels, dirt, tent, camping. And everyone's like, dude, that's a great idea. That's totally awesome. And almost immediately, you know, they've they've come up with the idea we're going to go on a camping trip. They set a schedule. People are bringing their cars. They're getting them all packed up. They get to the designated area of where they're going to leave from. You know, everyone's kind of assembling at one location to take the trip together. Once they get to this location and they're packing their car up and everything like that, Norman gets the feeling... That they're missing somebody. He kind of is looking around. Everyone, you know, they're consolidating to just a few cars. And they're throwing their gear in the back. And Norman's kind of looking around and goes, he's he's not here yet. Hey, Norman, are you ready to go? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Let's go, let's go. Shut the trunk. Everyone gets in the cars. The cars begin driving off to their destination. Stop at a gas station. 
hey man, who wants Twinkies? Om nom nom, I'm getting giant 32. Go off, turn these guys into the most obese, lazy bums. They're like two 32 ounce sodas at the same time. Glug, 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 glug. They're sitting in a tub of lard. They're walking around the gas station. And Norman's sitting there and he's buying his his, his daily allowance of 500 Twinkies. And he goes, that's so weird. Like, why do I keep getting this feeling that somebody else should be on this trip? Like, I'm standing in this gas station and I can't understand why I keep looking around because I know somebody's missing. I know I I have this feeling that somebody should be here. Now, there's seven of us in total. There's Norman and six friends. But I keep believing there's an eighth person that we're missing. Norman said this kept happening. Like, as they're on this journey, whenever they would stop somewhere, whenever something would kind of change the rhythm of just driving in the cars, he would become flooded with this idea that somebody is missing. He goes, listen, we had a bigger friend group than just seven people. So, I mean, like, you could figure, well, maybe we're missing Jerry from accounting. But that's the point. I didn't know who we were missing. We went on this trip, and I can't figure out what's going on, but someone's missing. When we would go to the gas station to pick up snacks, and then we're headed back to the car and getting buckled in and everything like that, I would have this overwhelming feeling that, don't leave yet, someone's in the bathroom. Someone's in the gas station bathroom, they'll be out in just a minute, don't leave yet. But no one ever came out of the bathroom. Of course no one was going to come out of the bathroom. There was only seven of us. And I know there's only seven of us, but I had this unmistakable feeling that there was an eighth person and I could not remember who it was. We'd be setting up camp. We'd be camping for the night. We'd be packing everything up to move on the next morning. And as I'm packing the car, I'm thinking, is he still at the campsite? Maybe he's still at the campsite. Maybe, but no, there is no one at the campsite. But he felt that one of their friends was still back at the campsite. One of the friends was still back at the gas station bathroom. He's like, no, that was 100 miles away. He kept having the feeling that somebody should be there that wasn't there. And he goes, at one point, I, it was it was driving me so insane, I did a head count. I had to sit there and go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And he knew only seven people went on the journey, but he also believed that somebody was missing. And this really came to a head. On one night, they were sitting around. They were going to play a game of cards. And all seven of them are seated at this table, and the dealer is dealing out all the cards. And then everyone had their cards, and they're just kind of sitting there for a second. No one's doing anything until someone finally goes, Oh! Oh, everyone's here. I thought we were missing somebody. So it wasn't just Norman. Other people in this group, they all believed during this trip that somebody was missing, but this was the first time someone had said it out loud. They actually all sat there with their cards waiting for somebody else to show up. They didn't want to start their game until all of them were there, but all of them were there. And what's interesting is that as they're sitting around this table talking about it, it was only six of the seven people said that. Six of the seven people said, yeah, this whole trip I felt like I was missing somebody. Yeah, me too. I did it. And it went around, but there was one person who goes, I haven't had that feeling at all. What are you guys talking about? They all felt like somebody else should have been there. The fact that they couldn't determine who it was is what made it so odd. If they could have said, yes, it's Johnny, then this wouldn't be a paranormal story. It would just be a bunch of friends who accidentally left their friend Johnny back at home. 
That's not the case. They couldn't figure out who it was. But they all knew somebody was missing. It's an interesting story. It's one of those paranormal stories that has really low stakes. Like, at the end of the day, who cares if these guys left someone behind? But that's not the point. They didn't leave someone behind. And as their journey continued, every time they stopped, it was basically every time they were transitioning from one activity to another. Leaving the gas station, leaving the campsite, packing the car. That's when they go, wait, someone's supposed to be here. And you, you have to ask all sorts of questions about this. You really do. Like, what could this phenomenon be? This, would post, this name's not going to give a bunch of credence to the story, but this was posted online by a guy who goes by the name Norman Quacks, 345. So do they still use that term for a crazy person? That guy's quackers. Quack is an old term for, like, someone who's crazy or, like, a bad doctor and stuff like that. I'm officially, I'm officially a baby boomer. I was born in the year 1945. Norman Quacks345 posted this. He posted this online and he got a lot of really good responses on it. People started talking about the Mandela effect, which is interesting because that would be a very, very personalized Mandela effect, right? It just only affects your friends group. Like if someone else walked in, they don't know any of you guys, so they wouldn't feel the phenomenon at all. But localized Mandela effect could be a possibility, uh, quantum immortality, that everyone slid to a universe where the eighth person didn't exist. There's all sorts of things you can think of. A ghost? But see, I think even a ghost, part of the idea of a ghost is wanting its, its presence to be known. If a ghost doesn't want to be known, then it just doesn't do any spooky stuff, right? just doesn't float around your living room or stand behind you while you're taking a shower. It just isn't there, right? The ghost would be the best to be like, oh, I don't want anyone to pay attention to me if they just want to haunt stuff. But this nagging feeling that somebody should be there and them not be there, that does kind of make it seem like some sort of dimensional split. But in the new dimension that they're in, that person doesn't exist. It's interesting, and I wonder how... This is one of those stories that when I read it, I go, this phenomenon where you have a group of people hanging out and then believing that there is someone missing, and again, it's not someone that they know. Someone's missing and they can't put their finger on it. This seems to me like it could be a much more common phenomenon. This It's so mundane that this is something that you could start seeing pop up in paranormal lore. And when it's put out there, people may go, you know what, that's so weird. I had that feeling once, I remember once in grade school, we all played four square, and there was only three squares. Who was the fourth person? We never figured out. The, the ball, they just kept bouncing it over there, and that person was always out. It would be interesting if this is a more common phenomenon, but people just don't talk about it because it's so mundane. And if you felt this feeling, would you ever tell anyone else, right? These people, they seem to have this over... You know, we're hearing the story from Norman's point of view. It's just kind of this overwhelming feeling. I think it's very interesting, too, that he notices it during the transitions. For the most part, when they're camping, he's not noticing it. He's saying when we're packing up, I kept thinking, oh, we can't leave yet. Someone else is still at the campsite getting their gear. And he'd wait a while, and no one would come. And he'd go, oh, yeah, of course no one's there. There's only seven of us. And then they would drive. And then when they stop at the gas station, when they get ready to leave, he goes, oh, we can't leave yet. Someone's still in the bathroom. It was during these transition periods. It's an interesting story. I think the fact that the one person doesn't remember or the one person doesn't notice that somebody's missing is an interesting detail. 
does that mean that that one person just didn't have that insight to see the world of what could be going on? It's, it's just such an inter- That's a really interesting detail to the story for me is that it, the phenomenon didn't seem to affect one person, which could mean that they were just mentally busy, right? They were focusing on other things. And if that thought popped in their head, they completely dismissed it. The other one is that maybe they didn't have the psychic insight to sense it. You know what I mean? You can put 10 people, walk them through a haunted house. Not everyone's going to be able to tell that it's haunted unless there's like a ghost jumping out from behind a, a bush or something like that. But I find that very interesting. And then just the phenomenon itself. It's interesting. What could this have been? What happened? Was this a localized Mandela effect? Was this some sort of dimensional shift or glitch in the matrix? And then what happened to that eighth person? I think from what we can gather is that I think my theory is that somebody, there was an eighth person when the trip began. And then they just blinked out of existence and the people were still, they they had no frame of reference. This person stopped existing, yet they still knew that there were eight people going on the trip with them. But they couldn't place who who stopped existing. They stopped existing. How are you going to figure that out? It's a fascinating story. And it's terrifying because on the one hand, we're hearing it from Norm and he's posting the story. But on the other hand, what if you were the eighth person? You know, like, what happened to them? Where did they go? It's possible they stayed in a universe where they existed and they went on this lovely camping trip and they won a bunch of money playing poker. But we don't know. Right? Was it, if that, that would make sense if it was some sort of quantum immortality shifting over or some sort of Mandela effect. But what if the universe just forgot this person existed? It was a glitch. These stories are always fun when we look at it from the point of view of the survivor or the witness, the person who's alive to tell us the story. But for the eighth person, their story will never be told. Because they have no story. They never had a story. Every interaction they ever had on planet Earth has been erased to the point that six of their friends sitting around couldn't even tell you their name. At least when you die, there's a memory of you, right? And whether it's a good memory or a bad memory, that's kind of up to you. But then there's also the whole breadth of your interactions with the world. Every cat you gave a little pet to scratches the little tummy. Every cashier you talk to when you were buying something. Every time you were walking down the road and decided whether or not to step on a worm or jump in a puddle. You're like chasing them out three. Well, it wouldn't matter. Even what you were doing when you were three, all of that stuff would have been erased. Every single moment that you ever had on planet Earth was erased to the point that people don't remember you. It's not that you died and they don't remember you fondly. They don't remember you existed. And if you cease to exist, would that mean everything that you ever did also ceased to exist? Every decision you made was undone. The cat went that day with no one scratching its belly. That worm made its way home to its mom. That puddle remained unsplashed. And then, you know, all the other stuff, all the other relationships you had with humans along the way. Fascinating story. It's one thing to disappear during a camping trip and become part of paranormal lore. But does this mean that this person was actually erased from all of history? They existed, they lived a full life, they made friends, they planned to go on a camping trip. But before those cars showed up 
and all the gear was loaded into just two or three cars, and the camping trip made its way out of town. You ceased to be. It's a fairly mundane paranormal story when you just look at it in one way, but once you look at the ramifications of it, it's terrifying. Is it possible to simply cease to exist? Any moment of any day, everything you did on Earth is instantly undone, and not a single person remembers you. Except for maybe a simple passing thought one day when one of your friends is loading up their car. They sit there and they kind of look around and shrug their shoulders and go, Huh, thought I was going to meet somebody today. But, guess not. That is the last legacy left for the man who stopped existing. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.